You know, these last couple of years have brought some very interesting social dynamics into play. And with, uh, with, with the onset of COVID, you know, we were all kind of driven into an online world where, uh, I, I don't know if you're like me, but like I saw some, some unique and funny things happen. Like I never knew about this thing called Zoom up until two years ago. And now it seems to be like a, a, a pretty significant part of my life, right? And uh, I, I've been on Zoom calls with people who have these like weird backgrounds and uh, I don't know if they think that's like cool, but it's uh, not cool. And then like, you know, like there's always the person that doesn't know how to use mute. Do you work with that person? And they can never mute their computer. And so the, the, the landscaper is like trimming the bushes just outside the window where the person's in the Zoom call and you can't hear what they're saying over the trimmer going off. And, and there's just all these weird dynamics now. And, and we're probably more connected across the world than, than ever before. And we've come a long way from what some of us grew up with, with the old dial-up internet connection. And we were doing happy just to have that AOL connection and a little help with our homework kind of thing. I mean, we've, man, we've come a long way in a relatively short period of time. And certainly these past two years have accelerated what's happened with our use of technology in its relation to connectivity. And, and they're definitely are some uh, funny things that come out of it. I actually had someone send this to me this week. It's, it's, it's a Zoom call that happened between three attorneys and a judge who you can't see on the call. But um, one of the attorneys had a filter on that he didn't know was there and didn't know how to remove it. And what happened next actually generated uh, quite a few views. If you've never seen this, take a look. Uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. Uh, you might want to. Uh, take, take uh, we're trying to. We're, can you hear me, Judge? I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It, and it is, and I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but uh, I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. That's not, I'm not a cat. <laughs> I can I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is the guy above him who's like, I cannot believe this, right? And I love the fact someone was paying three hundred dollars an hour for that. Um, and that has kind of been just a little snapshot of what our lives <laughs> have been like over the past couple of years. And actually, you know, if you if you broaden it out, just past a you know, the, the past few couple of years, like really we've been on a trajectory for several years now where, man, we're leaning into technology more and more and more and we're connecting with others more and more and more. And some of that is super cool. I mean, it's super, super cool. Uh, you know, I'm, like I never thought growing up that, that I would be as connected to others around the world as I am today. I mean, so there's a part of this like, that's super, super cool, but, but there's also a part of this that's immensely challenging. And you know, with any, opportunity and with any blessing, there can also be a, a challenge. And, and I think that's true with the way we're connecting with others right now, because, you know, again, on the one hand, it's cool to be connected and it's, it's just amazing to literally be able to jump on a call with someone anywhere in the world at any time. But then, you know, there, there are some drawbacks and here's what we're discovering now after, I don't know, five, 10 years of tracking 
how we're communicating now and what social media has introduced to us. Actually, here's what we're now seeing. We're now seeing that there's a generation of, of young men and young women who have grown up with social media and actually they're less social as a result. <laughs> this is a fascinating dynamic. We're more connected than at any point, certainly in my lifetime or at any point in human history. We're more social through social media than at any point in human history. But actually what experts are now telling us, and I think what we're experiencing is that really we're, we're less social somehow as a result. The, the Global Web Index tells us that the average American spends two hours a day on social media, two hours a day. That results in, over the course of one's lifetime, five hours and four months worth of time spent on social media. We're more connected than any point in human history, but strangely, we're less relational and less social than at any point in human history. See, here's what's happening. We're, we're creating a culture where relationships are done on our terms. We can block people we don't wanna have a relationship with, right? We can just not respond to a text. We can just not respond to a snap. Like we can actually track like who is communicating with us and who we're communicating with. We have groups and we have diagnostics that show us who's like most important to us. Like we're trying to keep streaks alive on Snapchat of who we're communicating with and for how long. And we have all these dynamics in play and, and largely we control them. And so for many people now relationships are done on their own terms. But, but here's the challenge. What matters most to us should not be relationship on our terms, but relationships on God's terms. Like I, I think, and again, I'm not anti-technology or, or, or uh, making the most of what's available to us, but I, I, I am for wisely discerning both the blessings and the dangers. And here's my concern that we as a people in general are not really delving into relationships as God has designed them. And we have more social media, but we're less social. We have more connections, but we're less relational. And there's a blessing in some of this, and there's also a danger in some of this. And when it comes to the church and the ministry of the church, here's, here's my concern. My concern is that there are a lot of people who think that they can do church through Zoom or Instagram or Facebook. And that's not God's design. There, there's a sense in which we think we can do relationships just on our terms. And and not really discern how God has wired us for meaningful relationships, which always involve some type of personal interaction, face-to-face -face interaction. And, and there's a simple takeaway I, I wanna show you today that, that we are made for relationship with God and one another. I just wanna remind us today, right? Like we are made for relationship with God and one another. Last week, we talked about worship. We talked about the fact that God has made every single one of us to worship. We are hardwired to worship. That's why every single person on planet earth today worships someone or something. We are hardwired to worship. But let me tell you also, as a part of that, we're also hardwired to be in relationship with others. 
God has made us to be in a relationship with himself and God has made us to be in relationship with others. And if we're not pressing into both, we miss out on what God has for us and our lives. And, and here's what's so amazing about what you and I know as the church is that we're a part of a, of a movement for 2000 years now that's been changing the world. And, and God's been using the church to change the world through meaningful and intentional relationships. That's how it happens. It's all relational. That's why the apostle Paul says in Romans 1, right? That the gospel is shared from faith to faith, from one person's faith to another faith, like from one person to another person, like, like from faith to faith. So, so we are made to be in relationship with God and we're also made to be in relationship with each other. And in this series, in this new initiative we're launching called The Pathway, we're trying to help you discover the very best that God has for you. It starts with worship, but then it also moves to connection, being in relationship with God and being in relationship with each other. And, and here's what we see going back to the days of the early church. When the f- church is established, what we find is that it's a people brought into meaningful community with each other. And this was pretty radical. Let me show it to you. We see in Acts 2, and I just, I love this. This is like one of my favorite passages in the New Testament because it describes for us what happened when the church was born, okay? And you've got Peter preaching at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way, people coming to faith in Christ. And and in fact, we we see it's about 3,000 people. So those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. And that day, the day of Pentecost, revival broke out, 3,000 people were added to them. So think about this. You've got a church about the size of Bell Shoals, boom, born instantly in Jerusalem not long after the ascension of Jesus. It's taken us since 1961 to get here. And Peter preaches and boom, you've got first day, 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ. Now, the only place this large of a group could meet was uh, on the temple grounds, okay? Probably in Solomon's porch. And, and, and you've got this wide area there where the apostles could preach and teach. And, and you've got here on Pentecost, obviously a unique thing happening with the spirit now indwelling believers. And man, you've got people responding to the gospel left and right, thousands of them. And now you've got all of these people and, and they, 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 they've, they've been radically changed by the power of the gospel, right? But not only are they changed by the gospel, I want you to see, then they're brought into this radical community that was so different than anything the world has ever experienced up to that point. You got people from different backgrounds, right? Different beliefs, different preferences, people with different interests. And boom, all of a sudden the spirit falls, the gospel is preached, the church is born. And now you got all these people, different age demographics, different social demographics, all these people now together in Jerusalem. And I want you to see they engage in meaningful relationship with each other. Like they're doing life together. Here's what happens. Okay, verse 42, check this out. And so, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, let me just pause here and show you this, this word here, devoted, okay? They devoted themselves in the original language is in a tense. The verb has a tense that, that indicates it's an ongoing action. In other words, like they didn't devote themselves just that day. Like this isn't all one day. This is like repeatedly, continually, over and over and over and over and over again. They're devoting themselves to these four pillars on which the church is built, okay? We're built on these same four pillars. And that's why you see here the definite article. 
Now I know everybody's just starting back in school. So let me, let me just break this down, okay? The definite article is the, <laughs> okay? You see here with these pillars, the definite article attached. That's important because this is what, they, in other words, it's not just a passing description. Like this is like foundational. They're devoting themselves to the teaching in a large group setting. Thousands of people there with the apostles. No doubt large groups were gathering on the temple grounds and they're listening to the apostles teach and preach the word of God. But it wasn't just large setting, it was small setting. In other words, it wasn't just large group, it was small group, right? And so they're, they're, they're do- devoted daily, regularly, here we're gonna see, to the teaching and then the fellowship. Not just fellowship, as we're gonna see, not just hanging out, howdy doody in, shaking hands, high five and playing cornhole. Not just fellowship, the fellowship as an instrumental part of the church. So it's built on the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, which is an indication in the New Testament that these early believers were indeed Baptists. Okay, you see that here with me? (laughs) They're eating and they're eating regularly, okay? And so what does this show us? That it's the breaking of bread. They're gathering regularly, as we're gonna see actually, in their homes and they're just eating together, doing life together. I think this is also a reference to the Lord's Supper, but, but, but they're doing life together. So it's the teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer. Okay, there's an article here, the prayer. And so prayer was a big part of what they did. They're they're, they're leaning into the Lord and the power of the spirit. And so this is what the early church began to do. And I just want you to understand how radical this was. I mean, up to this point, you've you've got the nation of Israel, you've got the Jewish people and they're looking for Messiah. And they're going through all their religious norms and customs, all their routines, right? Like, like they had their times they met and they had the stuff they did and they all the, had all the regulations they keep. That, that's what they did. And then Jesus, of course, comes and he says, you know, the one, the one you're looking for is here. <laughs> and he dies on the cross for our sin and he, he's raised from the dead on the third day and now he's ascended to the heaven and he sends his spirit in his place and the spirit falls at Pentecost and the preaching of the gospel goes forward. And, and I just want you to see a radical new community is formed. Not an organization, not a business, not a building, a body, a living, breathing re- representation of the power of Jesus in the world today, the church. And how does the church naturally begin to function through relationships. They're devoted to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayer. This is what they did. And, and we see this, let me, let me continue on here briefly and then I'll, and then I'll point a few things out. But, but he says, uh, uh, Luke does, who gave us th- this historical description of what happened. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being done, performed through the apostles. And then all the believers were together, check this out, they were together and they held all things in common. Let me just point out to you, by the way, that, that this mega church is not frowned upon in the New Testament. Like you get some people today and be like, oh, you know, mega churches, this and that. Listen, 
The, the issue for us today ought not be whether or not one is a part of a megachurch mega or a microchurch. You know what we ought to be concerned with? Are we a part of a good church? A gospel-preaching, believing church, a God-honoring church. That's what matters most, right? It doesn't matter how big or small. It doesn't matter how big or small. I've been a part of about every size church you could ever be a part of. Here's what I've seen over my years in, 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 in church ministry, right? I, there, there are large churches, mega churches, not faithful to the gospel, not good churches. There are small churches, guess what? Not faithful to the gospel, not good churches. There are large churches faithful to the gospel, engaging in meaningful ministry, awesome, great churches. There are small churches engaged in gospel ministry, awesome, great, small churches. It's not about the size of one's fellowship, right? It's, it's, it's about whether or not a, a, a gathering of believers are carrying out the mission. And I just want you to see here, th this is a megachurch. Day one, it's a megachurch, okay? Revival breaks out, thousands of people in Jerusalem. They're all under the leadership of the apostles. And, and guess what? The, these believers are engaging in meaningful relationship with each other. Now, if you're a person in the early church in Jerusalem, you can't know all 3,000 people. It eventually goes to 5,000 people and more than that. You can't know everyone, but you can know someone. And just notice here, these believers are together. They're, they're, they're described as being together. There's, there's no fraction or division here. There, there, there's no like, okay, well, they're too big or too small. No, it's just they're together. Man, God's working and moving now throughout Jerusalem. And look at this, and they hold all things in common. This is what this means, that, that they're willing to share their possessions. They're willing to give of their lives. They're willing to pray for others. They're, they're in relationship with others. I mean, they're just invested in one another. And everything was on the table for these believers. This, this doesn't mean that they all have the same opinion on everything. This doesn't mean that they all believe the same things about everything, you know, but it means they, they all believe the right things about the main things. And, and then they were willing to share out of what they had to ensure that many, meaningful ministry happened among the fellowship. So he, let me give you an example. Luke tells us. So he, he says they sold their possessions. They had all things in common, right? Now they're like characterized by generosity. They, they're selling their possessions and their property and they're distributing it to all as anyone had need. And, and then every single day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house and they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people every day. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is a new community. This is a radical community. This is not organized religion. This is meaningful, relational gospel community. And that's what God has called every single Christ follower to be a part of. Because he's made us to be in relationship with himself and he's made us to be in relationship with one another. And right out of the gate in Jerusalem, not long after the ascension of Jesus, the spirit falls and what happens? You've got thousands of people in relationship with each other. They're meeting in large group, what we would know as a Sunday morning kind of gathering, right? They're meeting in large group on the temple grounds and they're hearing the, the preaching of the word. But then day to day, they're just connecting with each other in their homes. They're breaking bread together. In other words, they're eating together. They're praying together. They're encouraging one another. They're singing together. I mean, they're just, they're doing life together. And so there are these relationships that form based on what God has done. And throughout the New Testament, these relationships are described for us as being incredibly important. You realize that in the New Testament, the phrase one another occurs 59 times. 
Okay, remember I'm telling you here, we're, we're made to be in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. Okay, you've got this newly formed community and check it out, as we roll through the New Testament and you have other churches being started and planted across the, 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 the ancient Near East and as it spills over into Asia Minor and ultimately like to Rome. Okay, here's what you see. You, 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 you see these, these admonitions to, to the church from the apostles and a lot of it centers around them being in community with each other. And so you have this phrase, one another. It occurs 59 times in the New Testament, 17 times it says we should love one another. Five times it says we should serve one another. Then there are other like exhortations that, 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 that we should accept one another, strengthen one another, carry one another's burdens, live in harmony with one another. There are all of these one another's. Why? Because this is what God's called us into. Meaningful gospel community with each other, with one another. And, and, and just hear me one more time on this. You can't have one another on Zoom or Instagram. You can't have it. The one another that's emphasized in the New Testament, the togetherness of the church, even in Jerusalem, shortly after Pentecost, is reflective of the fact that we are made for relationship with God and one another. We need one another. And so as a part of this initiative, we're rolling out called the pathway. We're focused on worship. That's the starting point, right? To worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second part of it is connection. Because every single one of us need this community that we know as the church to really grow in our faith and accomplish what God has for us. We're not made to be lone rangers. We're made for connection and community. And, and let me say it this way, going back to Acts 2, we're made for the fellowship, <laughs> the fellowship. So let me break this down quickly, what it looks like for you and me to be in the fellowship. I hope you're encouraged toward that today. First of all, here's the thing. I want you to see that the fellowship extends beyond casual activity. When, when I'm talking about fellowship and, and when Luke is talking about the early church here and he talks about the fellowship that these early believers devoted themselves to, the teaching and the fellowship, the fellowship there extends beyond casual activity. This is not, Luke is not saying, well, these, these believers had fellowship the way you and I often think of fellowship, right? Again, I've been long, around long enough to know that Christians have all kinds of fellowships. We have the Christian motorcycle fellowship. We have the quilting fellowship, right? We, we've, got, we've got all these fellowships. Okay, great. It's awesome to, to, to gather with people with common interests. That's awesome. But that's not Acts 2, the fellowship. It's deeper than that. The fellowship in Acts 2 and the one another's that we see in the New Testament extends far beyond just social interest or social activity. I don't know about you, I grew up in a church that had a fellowship hall. Anybody grow up in that kind of situation? <laughs> Man, those are the good old days. Now, I just want to warn you, if you never grew up in a church with a fellowship hall and you find yourself in a church with a fellowship hall, there are some unwritten rules. Like... When you gather for fellowship in the fellowship hall, the church provides the meat and the drinks and everybody else brings the sides and the desserts. Remember that? That's kind of how it went. For those of you who are called to ministry, which I know we have many in our student ministry or called to some kind of ministry or missions, I, let me just give you a heads up. Those of you called to pastoral ministry, when you go to a fellowship in the fellowship hall and the first church that you pastor or serve in, okay, you have to try everyone's green beans. 
Because if you go to a fellowship in the fellowship hall and you take some of Mrs. Grace's green beans, but you don't take uh, Miss Hazel's green beans, then that literally could split your church. <laughs> because people notice whether or not the pastor got their green beans. And so I have become an expert at fellowships in fellowship halls of just putting a little bit of everything on my plate. So I can say with integrity as I'm greeting people as they leave and they say, did you try my, oh, absolutely I did. And it was delicious. <laughs> now that might've been stretching the truth a little bit, but I think, you know, you can forgive me for that. We, we typically think of fellowship as activity. That's how we refer to it. It's, it's, a, it's a meal in a certain building, the fellowship hall. It's gathering for cornhole or game night or something. And again, these are all good things. But I just want you to understand when, when Luke's talking about this fellowship, the fellowship, it is so much deeper than that. It's, it's not, we're not talking about activity. In fact, the word fellowship, it's the word koinonia, you may have heard it. That, that word in the New Testament always means something much deeper than just activity. That word is used in actually many contexts. It's, it's used of, of, here's what it means, to, to, like, to share in, to share together, to participate in. So that word is used, for example, of participating or sharing in Christ. That's not talking about playing cornhole with Jesus, okay? That's not fellowship. No, no, that's we share in the salvation of Jesus, right? That's talking about the word koinonia is used, fellowship is used of providing for others' needs, sharing in the needs of others. What does that mean? We're participating, we're giving, we're being generous. It's not just a tip of the hat kind of thing. So, so this term fellowship, and especially with the article here in Acts 2, they're a part of the fellowship way more than just casual activity. We need to readjust our thinking. Secondly, therefore, here's what I want you to see what it means. Then it flows from gospel identity. When we think about being a part of the fellowship, that's what God has saved you into. If you're a Christ follower today, you are a part of the fellowship, right? You're made you're made for relationship with God and one another. And so when God saves you, he brings you into koinonia with himself. And listen to me, he brings you into koinonia with others. You're sharing in the lives of others, participating in the lives of others. And that flows from our gospel identity. When you go back to Israel, Israel was a nation that, that God used collectively to, 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 to spread his fame far and wide. We're no longer national Israel, right? That's not, that's not the, the plan A for God to, to communicate his glory to the world. How does he do it? Through the church, through you and me. We're not a... We're not a physical nation, we are a spiritual nation. But we serve the same purpose of being a collective people to communicate the glory of God to a world that desperately needs him. And therefore, how does the New Testament speak of us? Not as a physical nation, as a spiritual nation. You know what the New Testament says about you and me and our relationship to each other? We are a holy nation. We are a people who not just individually, but collectively exist in fellowship with each other because of what Jesus has done for us, uniting us with him, uniting us with each other as brothers and sisters, and now mobilizing us to spread his fame far and wide. And so you know what the, you know what the New Testament refers to us as in places? Ambassadors. It's like, 
It's like every place that the church meets, we're an embassy established in a foreign country to communicate a little bit of what it's like to be home. You know what an embassy is, right? Like the United States has an embassy in every major recognized country. An American embassy is a little bit of America a long way from home. You ever get in trouble overseas? And I'm talking to some of you that I'm specifically thinking of right now, I'm concerned about, okay? You ever get in trouble overseas? <laughs> you better run to the embassy. You know why? Even though you might be on foreign soil, the moment you step foot inside the gate of an American embassy, it's no different than you standing on American soil. You are now under American laws. You are governed by American laws. You will be treated as an American citizen, even though you're in a foreign country. And you know what? I think it's important that the New Testament likens us to ambassadors. Do you know why? Because the church is an embassy in a foreign world, a sinful world by which Christ followers gather to communicate to the world a little bit of what it's like to be home in heaven. That, that is our role. That's why we're here, right? And, and, and so I want you to see we're a holy nation. Here, here's what the New Testament says. Our citizenship is no longer in the United States primarily. It's in heaven. Like we are a, we're a people, like together, a holy nation, not Israel. We're not a physical nation like the, like the Jews were back in the days of the Old Testament. No, but we're like a holy nation. We're joined together literally now with people from all around the world, people in persecuted countries, people in first world countries, people in third world countries. All of us are worshiping together collectively, individually, gathering together relationally to do what? To, to represent what heaven is like and to try to gather as many people as we can to go there with us. This is what we do. So, so our connection runs deep. Our connection's tied to the gospel. That's why as I've traveled the world, I've encountered people who have stronger relationships with their Christian family than they do their biological family. I've connected with people around the world who have been disowned by their biological families because of their conviction that Jesus is the Christ. But they're not without a family because of this thing we know as the church. And they have stronger bonds and deeper relationships with their Christian brothers and sisters because of their gospel connection. And I know some of you are in a similar place. You love your biological family, you know them. You have some, though, who don't know Jesus, and there's a deeper connection, a different kind of connection and bond with those who do because guess what? Your citizenship has changed, your homeland has changed, and your eternal destination has changed. And now that connection you have with your Christian brothers and sisters is foundational. Why? Because God's made you for a relationship with himself and with one another, and and this fellowship that we're a part of then is no longer just like activity. It's, no, it's deeper than that. It's, it flows from gospel impact. So the author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, I love this. Here, here's what he says to a persecuted church, by the way, a church that was really struggling. He says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Hang in there, Jesus is faithful. And then he says this, and let us watch out for one another. Here's another one another 
to provoke love and good works and not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Look at the urgency here. The the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we're gonna need one another the more we're going to need to be connected to others who are going to the same eternal destination, the more we need to be connected with those who have the same citizenship, the more we need to be connected with those who are part of the same holy nation as we are. And and so these these gatherings that we have in large groups such as this, and then the day-to-day that we have putting ourselves in relationship to others, it's vitally important. And look at the author of Hebrews saying, this is life and death. You should be gathering and meeting more and more and more as you see the day of Christ's return approaching because things are going to get worse before Jesus comes back. And if you haven't noticed, things are getting worse. Our world is crazy. (laughs) Yes. I love reading quotes from leaders, Christian leaders, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and talking about how bad it is. I'm like, they had no idea. Listen, I, I, I told you last week, and I'm just so happy this week. I mean, listen, we've actually surpassed 500 students here in our academy at, at the Branding Campus, and our academy's just rolling, and I'm so proud of them and so, so thankful for our academy and, and what they're doing here. Listen, I, I've told our staff, and I mentioned to you, listen, there's never been a greater need for what we're doing through our academy and the support of our home educators. Let me tell you why. Because just for us to be able to say in our community that we teach and we believe that like parents need to be parents and we're not gonna try to be parents and, and we believe parents need to raise their children even as we educate them and support them and encourage them. But, but we're gonna support parents in such a way to where we're not gonna teach their children that a boy isn't a boy and a girl isn't a girl. And that's radically controversial today. Can you believe we live in a time to where by us simply saying a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, we're shouted down as bigots? So let me say this again. Our world's a little crazy. <laughs> it's trending in a direction. It's just, it's chaotic. I don't know where it's going to end up. I'm not fearful. The Lord's in control. But you know what it does kind of um, remind me of? The fact that we need each other. We have a gospel connection to each other. We have the same father. We have the same savior. We have the same eternal destination. And I just want you to see how seriously the New Testament takes this. That these early believers, like this wasn't a game to them. This wasn't just convenience for them. This was life and death. They gathered around the apostles teaching. They gathered in large group, but then they gathered in small group from house to house in homes having meals together, praying together, encouraging one another, fighting the good fight together. I'm telling you, we need each other. That's what the fellowship is all about. And, and, so, and so just two things quickly. So, so thirdly, I just wanna see the fellowship then, listen, it develops ongoing Christian maturity. This is such a helpful byproduct of what, what, what the fellowship does. It, it, it accelerates our growth in Jesus. Again, that's how God's made us. You will grow faster in community than you will on your own. Let me say it this way. You will become more quickly who God has created you and saved you to be in the context of community. Trust me on that. I know our world doesn't kind of lean that direction now with all of our opportunity to find relationship on our own through technology. I just promise you, you will grow faster. You will go farther. You will be better 
if you invest in community. That's how God's wired you. That's what I love about Tatiana Pisal's testimony. <laughs> we saw a little bit of it. Let me, let me show you the rest of her story. I mean, just a, a great story, you know, of even coming to a large church saying, I don't, know if, I don't know if I could ever be connected here. And then over the course of several years, realizing that by following God's design for human relationships, it's, it's life-changing and it's life-giving. So let's watch the rest of Tatiana's story. My name is Tatiana Pisal, and I've been at Bell Shoals for seven or eight years. The church I grew up in was a smaller church. It was probably 100 members total on a good Sunday. And so the transition from that church to Bell Shoals was kind of a shock, and I had to get used to it. How do you know people with such a big church or get to know people and make relationships with such a big church? In the beginning of 2022, uh, this life group just started right at the beginning of the year, and it's more for newly married, married with a couple kids kind of group. The relationships in the group, I believe, for me at least, it started as I'm going to get to know these these people, um, specifically the the women in the group, uh, to surround myself with like-minded women, and it just kind of started as a I'll see them on Sunday kind of thing, and then it was like I have a lot more in common with these women than I originally had planned, and these are these are people that I hang out with outside of church, and we we get together and we throw parties and, and baby showers and it's just these are real relationships genuine relationships to be involved in this life group it makes bell shoals almost seem smaller and, and more intimate than you would even think could happen with such a big church uh, to build relationships and friendships that will last i think it's important to be connected because it creates a the Lord gave Adam a mate because he didn't want him to be alone. And I, I believe that we connect because we were created Tatiana's testimony, and it's just a reminder to us that, that we're made for community. Good things happen when we're in good community. And it becomes a, a spark for us to grow and to become who God has saved us to be. Tim Keller said, you can't know God, change deeply or change the world apart from community. So when we think about this community, we think about the fellowship, what is it? Well, it's, it's not just social activity. It's actually about gospel identity. It results in Christian maturity. And then finally, here, here's the thing, it culminates in, in relational harmony. Did you notice there in Acts 2 how, how these believers now are eating their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God. And then here's what it says, enjoying the favor of all the people. Man, there's a joy and a harmony there that's unique. Like all these people drawn out of different backgrounds and experiences and demographics, but yet with their gospel identity and this newly formed community as they're having relationships with each other and they're engaged in the fellowship, right? You just see God moving and blessing. And here's the thing. I totally get this. I know that people are the sources of our highest highs and our lowest lows. But I've made a decision in my life that I think is consistent with the New Testament. And I want to encourage you with this. You know what? I've made a decision that I'd rather be rejected by some than to live my life with regret. I'd rather deal with rejection than, re than regret. Here's what I mean by that. 
Yep. In your efforts to connect, you might come across some interesting people. You might, you might get hurt. You might be disappointed. In fact, you probably will because people after all are people. In this side of heaven, they're fallen sinful people. And, and I've told you before, I should remind you, you know, those of you who come in and, and you're, you're, you're looking to connect, listen, you, you might come across some weird or difficult people. I just want you to know Jesus did not make them weird or difficult. They were weird and difficult before they came to Jesus. And they're a little weird and a little more difficult after they come to faith in Jesus. But I, let me just praise God that he saves difficult people. I, pray, I praise God he saves weird people. That's good. But hear me now, you're gonna encounter some people who are still on their path of maturing and you might get hurt and you might, you know, it might take you a while to find the group that you're really connected with the, the, the most acutely, that's okay. But you know what I've said, I think this is the pattern of the New Testament. We ought to live with an openness to rejection rather than regret. To live our lives in such a way that, you know what, okay, if we got knocked down, we're gonna get back up and we're gonna keep going as opposed to getting to the end of our lives and looking back and thinking, you know what, we just didn't take advantage of what God had called us to. I'd rather live with rejection than regret. You know why, partially? Because there were some pretty awesome people in the history of the church who lived with a lot of rejection. Paul, Peter, oh, and a guy named Jesus. And that's okay. But what God has called us to is a type of community where, listen, yeah, there might be some lows, but I promise you there'll be a lot of highs. And the joyful harmony, the relational harmony that comes out of the fellowship is life-giving and it's so desperately needed. And, and I just wanna encourage you, if you've had a bad experience, to jump in with us here at Bell Shoals. It's not that everything's perfect every time or everywhere, but I, I just want you to know that, that, that it's worth it. It's worth the struggle, it's worth the fight, it's worth the perseverance to find that community and those connections that will lift you up because we all need this, 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 this praising God and finding favor with the people. We need it. We need people to pray for us. We need people to encourage us. I promise you, there will be a time in your life as a Christ follower, you will desperately need people to come alongside of you to support you, to pray for you to encourage you. We all need that. That's how God's wired us. And that's where we find our greatest joys. Our lowest lows, but our highest highs. And, and if I could just give you one more example, it, it, it's in the life of the apostle Paul. I mean, it's, it's actually in, in his ministry in Ephesus. Paul went to Ephesus to start a gospel work there, plant a church there, which he did. And he was there two years. God, man, God moved in a powerful way. Teaching, preaching, miracle working, right? Like strategy, missional strategy, all of that. But, but when Paul was called away from Ephesus back to Jerusalem, here's what Paul said to the church. He said, I, I don't know exactly what awaits me in Jerusalem, but I know the Holy Spirit's telling me I gotta go back to Jerusalem. And when I get there, it's gonna be rough but I gotta go. And he told the church, he said, when I leave, I'll never be back. And, and here's what happened. I just think this is awesome, right? At the end of Acts 20. And so after Paul said this, he knelt down and he prayed with all of them. And there were many tears, just check this out. There were many tears shed by everyone and they embraced Paul and they kissed him. And they were grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. Now, you know what strikes me about that? Here you have like the greatest missionary that the world's ever known, planning a church, staying there two years and God working powerfully if you read about what happened there. But yet when, when he left, they weren't grieving most of all over the fact that they wouldn't get his leadership anymore or they wouldn't get his teaching anymore or they wouldn't get his miracle working anymore. You know what they were gonna miss the most? Just him. 
I mean, that just shows you right there, like the greatest missionary the world's ever known, one of the greatest theologians, teachers, preachers, miracle workers, all of that. Like, like the things that we would think, oh man, we would miss that. No, they just missed him. What does that tell us? That they were in fellowship together. He was doing life with them. He loved them and their families. They were praying for each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other, doing life together. We need that. And, and I hope that you'll step in if you're not already doing it here in the pathway and take opportunity to have that. This upcoming week, uh, I'll take my oldest son to college about 15 hours away. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking for a place for my wife to live there for the next four years. <laughs> it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be interesting. We've been through that once. I know many of you have been through that. And you know, I think about that. I'm so proud of my son and um, I mean, all of my kids, but I mean, you're about to send one off, it's a big deal. And uh, I kind of think of Acts 20. I think of Paul and the Ephesian elders. You know, I think, man, you know what I'm gonna miss about my son not being around? Uh, I'm gonna miss that he, he's not gonna be there to take out the trash anymore. And I'm gonna have to do that. I'm gonna have, it's gonna fall on me, man. Like, on it. And I mean, like, he's got jobs in the kitchen after dinner and I'm gonna have to do those too. And then uh, I'm gonna miss dunking on him playing basketball in the driveway. Um, I'm gonna miss playing golf. I'm gonna miss swimming. I'm gonna miss, you know, doing life together. But, um, you know, you get this parents who have done this, you know what I'll miss more than anything else. I mean, you know what I'll miss, miss, just miss him. I, I think the hardest part about dropping a child off at school is not the drop. I mean, you know, <laughs> that can be hard. And I've heard stories about, you know, people crying all the way home kind of thing. But you know what I think the hardest part is? Not the drop. I think it's when you get back home and you sit down for dinner the very first time and there's an empty seat at the table. Or you walk by a room where normally the bed is disheveled and there's clothes everywhere. And then that room is perfect. <laughs> because there's nobody living in there. And isn't it true in your own life when you think about someone you love that maybe has gone to be with the Lord or maybe you're like me and you know, you're, you're dropping kids off at school every other year and you get home and you realize, man, they're just, we just miss them. It's not so much the activities, it's not so much the going to the movies, it's just, you miss them. And, and I just want you to see, this is God's design for us that we're so all in with what God's doing here in West Central Florida that, man, we're part of this community and it means something to us. We love each other. We support each other. We pray for one another. We don't always have to agree on everything, but I tell you what, we're gonna agree on the main things. And we need this. And so here's my challenge as we leave today, all right? If, if you're here and you're watching us online, maybe you're watching us online every week, but you're able to be here in person, can I just challenge you to come back home? because this is not designed for a camera. It's designed to be experienced together.